0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Episode 108. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey friends, before we hop in today, I want to let you know about a free masterclass that I am doing this week, Thursday, in just a few days, if you're listening to this soon after the air date, at least. It is all about how to create content that invites your audience in, that helps them feel special, that makes them feel like they are part of the in crowd, which in turn helps them build that know, like, and trust factor. It is 100% free. I am not going to be doing any sales pitches whatsoever, just straight content. The only caveat is there will be no free replays. So if you want into this masterclass, hop on over to brittanygardner.com forward slash masterclass. All right, everyone. Today, I'm going to be talking with Krissa Zindros. She is a personal branding expert. She has employed personal branding in both the corporate world and in the coaching world. So I'm really excited for you to hear her personal story about how she developed her own personal brand and also how she found her personal brand within the corporate world. Krissa brings over a decade of management and executive level leadership to the Handle Group. Throughout her career, she's worked alongside C-level executives, building brands, and creating numerous business-driving initiatives that have positively impacted sales, profit, and employee retention for large and small companies. In 2008, she came into the Handel Group to further hone her leadership skills. After a few sessions with her coach, she realized she had a longing to help people succeed in life and business, and she became a trained coach in the Handel Method. Chris has been teaching individuals how to integrate the method into their lives. She leads workshops and corporate retreats and works privately with individuals and teams. All right, on to our interview with Krista. We're going to talk a little bit about her beginning and how she has lived her personal brand as she's moved into a new career. All right, Krista, welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm really excited what we're going to be talking about, but before we get there and start talking about what being an outliner really means for your personal brand, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and how you came to the knowledge and skill set that we're going to be talking about in a minute?
1: Sure. So I am an executive coach at this moment. I've been an executive coach for close to 11 years now but prior to becoming a coach I actually worked in marketing and branding and consumer experience so I worked at retail companies to help them both figure out how to keep established brands top of mind for consumers as well as launching other brands that were new and had a point of difference that wasn't already available in the marketplace so I became a coach uh, because as I was growing in my career I was struggling to lead. And so the higher up the ladder I went, the bigger my team got, the less effective I was becoming, which is a conversation for another time. But I think be- when I became a coach One of the things I realized that people butted up against is that they didn't, one, know how to brand themselves within an organization. They didn't really understand how to do politicking and networking and how to establish sort of their own personal brand within their teams, as well as with uh, superiors. But then also when, when I was working with people who were building their own companies or building their own brands, they really didn't understand how to position themselves different from other founders and leaders. So this topic is really near and dear to my heart uh, for the purposes of the fact that I was in marketing. So this is really marketing language that I do branding with my clients. And then also I was a young leader and I was 27 when I became an executive and talk about being an outlier. I was one of the only women and the only young people in the room of mostly men who were all like 55 and above at the time. And so I had to quickly learn how to feel comfortable in that space and figure out how I was going to be authentic to myself, and still be successful in the world that I was stepping into, which was really high level leadership.
0: So that's really interesting to me. Obviously, a 27 year old female is going to, you know, present herself differently than a 55 year old, I assume, white male who's been in the game for a while, maybe thinks that they know everything, obviously, through the advent of the Me Too movement. We've heard all about mansplaining and it's like, maybe guys are starting to kind of figure out some of this stuff, but I assume that this was all well before that. So what did you run up against that made you realize like right away, you have to set yourself apart, not only as a leader, not only as someone with expertise, but someone who can deliver it differently? Such a great question.
1: I wonder where to begin with this one, (laughs) because there were so many inflection points. The first one that comes to mind is actually what landed me in becoming a coach, which was I was having this issue getting my team to listen to me. And my team at some point grew so large where I inherited other teams underneath me. And at this particular point, I was managing some of the 50-year-old white men that you were referencing that were part of the company. And they didn't want to listen to me. I wasn't being impactful. I didn't know how to have them engage. I didn't really know how to stand my ground with them. I was intimidated. And then they were testing me. And my good friend was like, Oh, you should probably get a coach to help you. And I was like, who does that coaching? Like, no, thank you. Uh, you should know my family is Greek. So we just eat and drink our problems. So, don't <laughs> talk them about them. so I was like, Oh, leave me alone. I'm not doing a coach. So one of the first inflection points was just that where I wasn't being effective with my team. And I realized, Oh, if I'm going to Get to these people and have helped them produce results to both make me look good and also ensure the company is profitable and growing, but then also to support them in their careers. I'm going to have to really figure out what my leadership style is going to be, which I hadn't had to do up until that point because I was leading people that were closer to me in age and at the time were mostly creative. So it was like, we were more colleagues. And even though I was the boss, it was more of a colleague sort of relationship where I didn't have to really establish this hierarchy. But as my leadership grew, I had to establish a hierarchy because it's just required when you have so many people underneath you. So that was the first inflection point uh, when no one was listening to me and I wanted to quit my job because no one was listening, <laughs> part one. Um, part two is that because of the role I was in, I was often called in on many conversations and important business conversations, I would go into a room where, interestingly, there were definitely a lot of older men and mostly white men, but also there were a lot of older women in the room. And these women had really grown in the ranks of their careers. In this particular instance, they were also at this company for a very long time. And so what I noticed is that uh, my voice wasn't really being paid attention to. And I would do things like, let me echo what this person said or piggybacking on what that person said. And I would find myself sort of repeating other people just to be able to say something and get some attention. But then I realized I wasn't really contributing nor was I telling the full truth about what I thought or what I, you know, really thought we should be doing with the decisions that we are making.
0: So I love that you realized that echoing somebody else's statement is really just setting up an echo chamber. I mean, essentially, (laughs) and that it wasn't doing you any service. So you know, when it comes to putting yourself together as a personal brand in an environment like the one that you were in, how did you give yourself permission to really create your own opinions and put them out there? So the
1: first thing that I did, and this is also what I teach my clients, to do and to get is that the more I kept trying to sound like everybody else or enforce everyone else's feelings or sentiments or thought processes, the less confident I became in my job. And at the time, I didn't actually realize what I was doing, but what what I was doing and how I would say it now to myself, being a little bit older and a lot more wiser, is that I was being fake. I wasn't truly telling the truth, and I was being a fraud in the sense of I didn't really believe what I was saying half the time. Sometimes I agree, but mostly I had other opinions or a different take, and then I felt like I was second-guessing myself, like, was my opinion right? Should I say it? No one else agrees with me. What does that mean? And so I started to really go deep into the conversation of maybe I don't deserve this job, maybe I'm not qualified, maybe I'm not smart enough and really thinking of myself as a fraud. So the first thing I did was get, and this came through a couple of different sort of avenues. One was a mentor. Another part of it was me getting my own kind of like personal development work on, if you will, was that uh, the more I pretend and the further away I go from my own authenticity, the bigger of a fraud I feel. And it was actually doing me a disservice to not stick my neck out because then I wasn't actually standing out in the organization. So that was the first part, getting that my authenticity actually breeds my confidence. The second piece was actually getting clear, going into meetings, some of the things that I wanted to discuss because I would find myself again, like, and I say find myself but I've said it a few times now, which is very much like a place you end up versus really steering the conversation and knowing exactly what you want to get out of it and how you're going to manage the negotiation. I often found myself in, you know, agreeing, you know, and having extra work, you know, doing this other job for somebody else. Yeah, no problem, Um, right? (laughs) Yeah, no problem. It's all good. I got it. I can work until 11. That's okay. My boyfriend won't mind. But I often uh, found myself in these meetings kind of tongue-tied. Because I hadn't had the practice that my other colleagues did. They had been in the industry for 20 years. This is like not their first rodeo. It happened to be mine. And so they kind of knew what they were going to say. They had their positions, their talking points. They had these established relationships, and I didn't. So I had to do a little bit of preparation in order to be able to go into the meetings and say what I needed to say and present. And that little bit of prep work made me feel much more comfortable to stick my neck out because I was prepared with, okay, what if they say no? What if they don't like my idea? How do I respond? What do I do if someone someone gets mad at me? I don't know why i always worried about people getting mad at me. I don't worry about it too much anymore, but I used to do quite a bit. So I was able to sort of troubleshoot, if you will, and that made speaking up much more easy.
0: So I want to touch on something that you kind of inserted quickly and then moved on there, that when you prepared in advance, it gave you the ability to troubleshoot because I think a lot of entrepreneurs in particular, or at least the ones I've been observing, they fly by the seat of their pants. And, and I think you know the way the online marketing, online business world works kind of almost tells them that that's the way you're supposed to. You know, you start up a business, it's done in a very bootstrapping manner, it's very scrappy, you're figuring things out on the fly, and then as they grow, when they should maybe be, you know, relying more on on systems around them, things like that, they're just so used to flying by the seat of their pants that it's become second nature. And you're saying the opposite, which I happen to agree with. So we don't need to do that or anything. But you're, you're saying that preparing in advance allowed you the confidence allowed you the ability to troubleshoot when things didn't go according to plans.
1: Yeah, I think what's important is to know yourself. So there are places where if we are, you know, have to wing it, or have to just kind of pull it out of our you know what, we can be okay, like we're good on our feet, we're fast. There's places where we all know we have that strength. And then there are places where we know that we don't have that strength. And the strength could be an actual technique or tactic, like how to do something. For example, if you sent me an an Excel spreadsheet, I couldn't promise you I would be able to Actually, fill it out in like a day because I need a lot of time on Excel. But if you sent me a PowerPoint presentation, I can bang out, you know, a, a slide presentation in 30 minutes. Like, what do you want with graphics and videos? Like, let's do it. So I feel confident in one space and not confident in the other in terms of hard skills. It's the same thing with the soft skills. And the soft skills space, I think most of us. Sort of put a lot of demands on ourselves to be able to know how to lead and know how to say things and know how to negotiate. But if we don't have all the practice or if we're not naturally inclined, we do need to prepare, just like I would have to prepare to work on a PL. It just it won't come as easily to me. It doesn't mean I can't start to build some acumen with that particular skill set, but I just need to invest some time. And so preparing is not a bad thing. And preparing doesn't mean that you're weak in any way, it just means that you understand where you can stand to learn and or improve your skill set. And you're right. Oftentimes, we, especially in our culture, really put a lot of emphasis in almost celebration on people's ability to sort of just pivot really fast or, you know, just do that thing easily. And what's true is we're only looking at the tip of the iceberg. Most of the time, when people are pivoting quickly or doing things easily. They've had a lot of practice at figuring out how to make it look so effortless.
0: Yeah, it's definitely along the lines of, you know, that overnight excess has only taken the last decade. I mean, yeah, it looks like they just exploded in growth. Maybe they've tried something new every quarter for the last 10 years, and something finally just really hit. Totally. So moving back to the subject of being an outlier, when was it that you realized, and maybe tell us the story of that realization. When was it that you realized it really had a lot of benefits behind it?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of moments, and this came after I was in corporate America. So this is really when I've stepped into becoming a coach. Did I really actually start to understand the benefits? Because what I was noticing is that the clients that I had that were really clear and understanding their lane and knew what they did really good and were they where there was a point of difference, if you will, for why somebody should hire them, were the ones that were getting hired uh, in a in an easier way. There were also ones that were more success, successful, and they were climbing the ranks in their companies, and they seemed to be happier. And so I got really intrigued by this, and my marketing brain, I always go back to my marketing brain, it's really where I'm the most comfortable, it's almost that innate skill set for me. My marketing brain started to go, oh wow, there's, there seems to be a connection between establishing your point of difference as person in an organization or as a brand a personal brand with success and if we think about when we when we consider marketing products or brands or services we always want to establish why we're different from the competitor the only problem is as human beings we don't want to be different from the pack we want to fit in we want to be considered normal we want to be considered the same as everybody else because it's such a liability to be different So I started to really get that those that were willing to risk being a little different, risk sticking out or standing out, and they were able to secure for themselves better paying jobs and the jobs that they really
0: wanted. So how do you apply that outside of corporate America? I mean, obviously, you know, as you're climbing the corporate ranks, people who stand out are easier to pick out of the crowd when it does come time for a promotion or a new opportunity. But In the entrepreneurial world, if somebody's looking for, I don't know, like insert title here, you know, a wellness coach or a business coach, they're expecting a certain kind of product or service from that. So how do you make sure that you're standing out in a way that gets you the attention for the services and skill set that you have to offer, but also be not so far out from the beaten path, if you will, that people don't recognize what you do with what they're looking for?
1: The answer really lies in being clear in your values. You know, as you just mentioned, like becoming a health coach or being, some, being an entrepreneur who's starting some sort of cool, new, disruptive business in like the tech industry or whatever, there is a predetermined sort of vision of what that person should look like. And it's predetermined for a bunch of reasons. One, it's like what we've seen over and over again. And then secondly, whenever we want to enter into something, we tend to take on the norms of... The in group that we're entering. I always make this joke. My, my family is Greek, and my first language is actually Greek, and I don't really speak it quite often anymore, aside to my dad, sometimes. But whenever I go to Greece, I start thinking in Greek, and I start doing all these Greek mannerisms, and I suck my teeth, and I roll my eyes, and I like my, hair you know, like I've all these hand motions, and I'm like, where is it coming from? Cause it's not how I behave in America, but it's because I spent two weeks with my family that I'm absorbing their norm. So it's very natural for us to come into an in-group and want to acclimate from a biological stance, but it's also very natural from a, like a society sense. Like we want to make sure we fit in so that people would want us to. I go back to what are your values? So if you want to become a health coach, disrupt some particular sector, okay, what are your values? What do you most care about in what you're going to create, but also how you're going to show up in the world? And from the place of being clear on your values, because then you go decide, okay, here's where I'm going to be different. Here's where I'm willing to stick out and stand out on purpose. And most oftentimes, if I'm just talking about women for a quick moment, most oftentimes this conversation comes up with women when it comes to how they're going to look, how they're going to dress, how they're going to do their hair, especially when it comes to, like, ethnic women. And, you know, do do, do you leave your hair natural? Do you not leave it natural? Do you use makeup? Do you not use makeup? There's a lot of conversation around making sure we like look like the norm. And all this stuff, what it does is take away from what your focus should be, which is I'm producing the great result you're trying to produce for your client or the industry. So the very place to go to always and have be what guides you and how you're going to stick out or not is your value system.
0: I love that. I'm a big fan of core values. I, I love diving into personality tests, because I think when people really truly know themselves and what matters to them, it's so much easier to communicate what you have to offer to the rest of the world. Like, How can you know what you're willing to offer if you don't know yourself?
1: Exactly. And I just want to add something into that. When you are clear on who you are, you don't make any apology for it. So you're managing less, meaning you're managing less of your space. Do I look okay? Do I sound okay? You're not consumed with that. And so what that creates in your space, meaning how you're interacting with people and the relationship dynamics that are caused by that is that you come off more confident and you, in some way, disarm other people. We've all been around people who they feel really uptight. They feel like they're trying to walk a straight line. Something feels off about them to us. Sometimes maybe they come off fake in general. And so we don't trust them on some level. We're a little bit like, I don't know about them. I'm not sure, or or they don't really get us to feel like we can relate to them, like they're almost out of touch. And unfortunately, you know, whenever we're all playing and trying to manage who we are for the sake of our client and for the sake of closing a deal, the other person slash client slash business person, whoever you're talking to, can feel that, and so it hurts your credibility. There's something really powerful about going, okay, here's my values. You know, one of the things that I always ask people before they start working with me is like, just so you know, I like swear nonstop, it's going to offend you. You need a new coach. But, like F words come out of my mouth. And that's just who I am. I've always been this way. And whenever I try to control my voice and like st- change my words around, I stutter. I forget what I was saying. It just, I'm ineffective. So I go own it. And then what it creates is opportunity for people to also be real with me. And instantly in that realness and that willingness to be vulnerable with someone, you build credibility and rapport.
0: Oh, I love that. You need to be who you are. There's no need to apologize for it and not just need for apology, but like own it, man. Yes, for sure. So I'd love for you to tell a little bit about your story and building your own personal brand and any you know hurdles that you've encountered along the way. And any like big high notes that have really shaped one who you've become in the marketplace, but also for yourself? So
1: I've done a career switcheroo. (laughs) And so I will speak to what I've created as a coach. Uh, Because prior to that, as I mentioned, that was really where I did a lot of my learning and fell very hard on my face much at the time but also really figured out how to succeed. So one of the reasons why I became a coach was because I wanted to help people succeed and realize the value of coaching. But in my corporate life, as I like to call it, it was sort of like the growing pain years. When I became a coach, what I got and the lessons that I started to sort of learn from in this coaching world is that one, I don't have to be a people pleaser. Before, I very much would always want to make sure that people knew I was willing to work hard and do a good job. And if that meant sacrificing whatever it might be, my time, my family, my friends, my workouts, I was happy to do it because I wanted to make sure I established some level of, you can trust me. I'm here. I'm dependable. I'm reliable. And what ended up happening is I got very, very resentful did not work out in my favor. <laughs> Very bad strategy. If there's people-pleasers listening, please stop. It doesn't work out for anybody. Uh, so when I became a coach, I really learned and actually put in place rules for myself to not go back to the yes ma'am, yes sir sort of mentality. I also realized that I had to, in order to grow and lead clients, I had to be able to evolve that for myself. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to catch it in other people, meaning I wouldn't be able to Direct people to say no powerfully when they should, or to proclaim their time because I wasn't doing it. So I had to really upgrade that for myself. So that was kind of the beginning of this, like building the brand of me. One of the things that I've created as an internal brand, because I always like to look at the two things like there's the internal experience of you and the external. So in terms of my colleagues, because I do work for a company where there are a bunch of coaches that we partner together on on different projects, the thing that I really wanted to establish myself as was somebody that was a supporter and a mentor and not somebody who did the work for you, which again goes back to my people pleaser. So internally, I took the time to really build one-on-one relationships, get to know what people cared about at a deep level, understand their personalities and take the time to really build deep connections so that I can call any of my colleagues at any point and chat with them about their families or chat about business and all of it feels natural. So that was the the first kind of internal piece, and the external side. I really wanted to establish myself as a little bit different than the other coaches that we have in our organization, and they're all fabulous. I can speak for hours about how wonderful they all all are, and they all come from different backgrounds. But what's true about me is that I was a young executive. I have a very interesting kind of growing up story. My parents were immigrants, and they didn't speak the language. I had to help them like get their bank account open. So I've had this like experience of life where I've had to be the most mature person in the room. And because of that, I'm able to see the big picture. A lot of times in coaching, we're really focused on like one sort of path, one particular sort of like thing we're solving for. But what I offer to my clients is I'm thinking like high level. I'm not just focusing on the fact that you want this job or the salary. I'm going, how does that impact your time? What do we have to do to get you to lose weight over there? I'm looking at the whole picture because I can see the interconnectedness of it all. And I say that to my clients. If you want someone who's going to see the big picture with you, who's going to make you laugh, who's going to swear at you, likely, and who's probably going to wear big, obnoxious jewelry at our meetings, then it's me. If you want someone who is going to be much more targeted and or linear in how you're approaching a problem or more methodical, then go pick somebody else, right? I am very clear about the upfront. The other part I will just say to answer this question is that as a woman, I've often been told that using intuition is a bad thing. Most of us have been taught to really use our linear logical mind. And the truth is there's so many studies now about how our gut and our heart talk to us. And actually there's like all these access points that like your stomach communicates with your head and your heart communicates with your head. And we're always getting these messages all the time via feelings or uh, gut instincts or what they're called somatic responses. And like the science language of it all, like your, your gut giving you this like feeling of, oh, I don't trust that person. And for the longest time, especially because I was competing in a world where I was again with a bunch of men and a bunch of people older than me, I would suppress that. And I wouldn't lean into it for knowledge or wisdom. And for, for many years in coaching, I would also ignore it and very much use my head and my, the methodology that we use to coach and really take that approach from, no, ignore it. And in, me- in recent years, I've decided, you know what, screw it. I'm somebody who's really intuitive. I am an empath. And I'm going to call on that when I'm working with clients. And that means that I ask permission, like, hi, just so you know. I'm a little bit of a weirdo. I can be really <laughs> intuitive. <laughs> I can be really intuitive sometimes. You didn't say this, but I have this weird gut feeling. Can I tell you? And most people are like, sure, tell me. But I wouldn't have done that because in the past because I would want to fit in and I wouldn't want to get in trouble and I wouldn't want the client to fire me. And now I'm like, hi, you want this part of me. You want this weird piece because it's where I have a lot more value and you're not going to get it from anybody else. But th- that takes guts. So th- those are the, the, the pieces I've been able to integrate the internal, making sure I'm a mentor and a supporter to the people that I work with, ensuring that with my clients, I'm really deeply owning that intuition and that I am fully standing in. I'm not going to be your typical corporate consultant. So if you don't want that, then don't hire me.
0: Man, I love that. So you just like wrapped up everything that you said all at the beginning of this interview. You know, don't apologize for being you. You have to own it. And your own story just kind of proves it out in such a really nice way. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about how we can find you, what you're doing these days. And if anyone is interested in connecting with you, where they might find you for that. Yes.
1: I work for a company called Handel Group. We are an executive life coaching company, which basically means that whenever we work with a client, we work on their whole life. We have a few different divisions. The basics of it all is that we either work with organizations on the corporate side and teams and executive leaders, or on the life side, we work with one-on-one individuals who want to get coaching for any area of their life. And I've I've worked in the life coaching division and the corporate division. And we also have an education division that I should mention because for anyone listening who works in education, we also offer educational programming. So imagine if you were like, I don't know, 15 and someone taught you how to not procrastinate. Like that would be great. (laughs) So we go into schools and we teach kids how to design their life. We offer programming anywhere from like really basically elementary school all the way up to post-grad. So I've worked in all three of these uh, main divisions that we have. And so one of the things I want to underscore is if you can hear the way I'm talking, you can hear that uh, I'm a little casual and pretty open. And when we go into coach clients, we really do bring this level of realness to our work. All of the coaches we have are willing to tell their story, be vulnerable, open up and laugh at themselves so that we could guide our clients to be able to do the same. So one of the coolest things that we've done in recent years, and I really wish we had this sooner, is because... Coaching can have such a barrier to entry because it's very expensive and takes a lot of time. And so we established this program called InterU. It's an online digital course. And we actually have three different types of interview programs. There's the Interview Career, uh, which is a program actually that I do masterclasses for. This is all about up-leveling your career, how to show powerfully in an interview, how to have a hard conversation at work, how to politic and network, all the things, again, we should have learned in college, but we didn't. Uh, We have Inner You Love for anyone who's looking for love or wants to upgrade the relationship. This is all about how to have a really deep and uh, intimate relationship with a significant other. And then we have Inner You Life, which is almost like the standard, I guess, like digital program for what we offer. So all three of these programs are learner led and they come with a free coaching session and then also select masterclasses, depending on which program you purchase. And if someone's considering getting into coaching or wants to take on something during whatever's happening in 2020, I don't even you know it's a label that's happening in 2020, but if someone's like, you know what, maybe upgrade myself in this time, this is a great place to start.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If people are spending a lot more time at home, I think the best thing they can do now that a couple of months have passed and they've probably gotten through the entire Netflix catalog, it's time to start looking within.
1: <laughs> oh my God, yeah.
0: Just so everyone in the audience knows, I love one of the things that uh, you didn't actually say, but I have here in my email that you guys call it learn to human better, because I think it's such a great way to succinctly get across a lot of the things that we talked about today.
1: Yes, we love to make up words at Handel Group. (laughs) (laughs) And so human better, right? We were like, if Uber can be a verb, then humaning better can be a verb too. It is all about upgrading your whole life, not just like one part of your life and The truth is, and the literature says it's true, happier people produce better results. You know, most of us really have been taught, we've been kind of brainwashed to believe that once you get successful, you'll be happy. Once you make that first million, you'll be happy. And what's really actually true is that's not the case. The case really is that if you're happy and have a level of pride with yourself and your actions you produce better results, you're more likely to be successful if you work, if you do the internal work on keeping yourself happy and thriving. So that's really our mantra and what all of our coaching offers to people.
0: Krista, thank you so much for coming here. That was, first of all, just a fantastic story. I enjoyed it. I love hearing how you emerged into the brand that you are today, but also just how everyone else can follow along and, and really apply that to their own lives. So thank you.
1: Thank you for having me here.
0: Thank you again to Krissa. I'm so excited that you guys had the opportunity to hear her whole story beginning to end. I know it was a little bit of a longer episode than we normally do, but I found myself nodding along with her so many times, making decisions from our values, unapologetically standing up for who we are, owning who we really are, so we can bring that good stuff to our clients and really create some impact. I'm so excited you guys got to hear this. And again, I know you already heard that. I love that phrase, learn to human better. It's so awesome. So if you are finding yourself nodding along too, you should probably go check out Inner You and the Hand Doll Group.